Welcome to Kids Considered, a podcast from UC Davis Children's Hospital, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. So we are recording this in April, and I think I shared with most of you, our listeners, that I recently had my first baby, a little girl named Mira. She's Um, adorable, by the way. (laughs) She is. I'm sure she will make a lot of cameos on our social media posts. But I'm just about two months into coming back to work from maternity leave. She's now six months old. And we thought it might be fun to do kind of like a different kind of episode where we talk openly about my experiences over the first few months of parenthood, um, kind of the things I expected, some of the things that I was definitely surprised by, and review them with you. Of course, these are just my experiences. And if parenthood has taught me anything so far, it's that every parent and child are completely unique and have their own struggles and successes. So I hope my journey can at least provide some entertainment for you and maybe some help as well. And I'm glad that Mira Gray can really be the star of this milestone episode because this is podcast episode number 100 that we've done. Not counting Ah! the COVID specials, just the regularly scheduled ones. It's a real milestone for us. Oh my gosh, that's so special. Mm -hmm. Thank you for including that. So I don't know, where do you think we should start? Maybe delivery? Let's start at delivery. Yeah, let's start at the birth process itself. What was that like? And how did that meet your expectations or differ from what you expected it to be? Well, I think you remember that I left work a little bit earlier than expected. (laughs) I do remember that. So um, I actually ended up having my water break at 35 weeks gestation. Um, So about a month before she was due to arrive, I started having some high blood pressure issues. Um, And at that point, I think we were still just going to monitor it and potentially induce at 37 weeks. So when you have really bad gestational hypertension or high blood pressure, um, sometimes they will recommend inducing or, or kind of scheduling that induction for you to deliver early. So that was our plan. Mm-hmm. And then my water broke at, broke at 35 weeks. So you can imagine that was a little shocking for us. Mm-hmm. Then you had to deliver. Yes, they they induce you right then because the longer your water has broken, it's more of an infection risk mm-hmm. to the baby. Even though our OB had told us to have our bags packed and ready to go, we thought we had a little bit more time. So uh, we were kind of running around and my husband was like throwing things into a suitcase. And I knew that like things move really slowly in the hospital. So I like took a shower and did some (laughs) other stuff. Uh, But then we obviously ended up at UC Davis, which is where I work. um, And I was induced. Mm -hmm. So depending on your experience, if you end up getting an induction or you go into labor naturally at full term, it's going to be totally different. Um, But I got some medication to kind of like, you know, speed things along. And everything went pretty smoothly from that process. Because I am a pediatrician, I have some experience with, you know, what we would call a late preterm infant. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was born early. So I knew that she may have some issues breathing after she was born. I knew that she may have some issues with her blood sugars or her temperatures if she was really small. And so after she came out, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I luckily did get to spend some time with her, like little skin to skin time. We've done a full episode and talked about the benefits of that. 
And then she started grunting a little bit, which is basically when they're just like working a little bit hard to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so they took her up to the NICU for a little bit for something called CPAP. Mm-hmm. You know what that is, right, yeah. Dr. Team? That's CPAP is those little nose progs, right? <laughs> <laughs> they look like they look like little um, elephants, essentially, mm-hmm. where they're wearing like a little bit of, of pressure, you know, on their nose. And it's basically just like help open their airways up because their lungs haven't had quite as much time to develop. And one thing I asked my husband, I was like, were you freaked out mm-hmm. by her going up there? Because I think we've mentioned before that he's not in medicine right. at all. Um, and he was like, well, I was just kind of like looking at you and seeing if you were worried and you <laughs> didn't seem that worried. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think being at a place where I trusted all of the staff and knew them and knew that she was in good hands made it easier for sure. And then how long was she in the NICU for? Just like a few hours, really. So oh, sometimes these babies that are just born a little bit early, they just need a little bit of that pressure and then they can come down. Um, and, of course, like I mentioned, every kid's unique. But she was just up there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was able to come down to us. And, oh, my gosh, what a whirlwind those first few days are. <laughs> what was it like? Uh-huh. It was just, I mean, it's just sleep sleep deprivation, pain. One thing I forgot to mention to you, to you guys is that I didn't get my epidural in time. <laughs> so this is oh one thing my. that I, I laugh, one word but... of advice. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't laugh, but I mean, it's okay. We can laugh about it now because it was all fine. But they come in to you and they say, like, I think our anesthesiologist here was like, okay, tell us when your pain's like a six out of 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I haven't experienced that much pain in my life. And so, like, I feel like I'm in a lot of pain, but maybe I'm overreacting. And, anyways, things escalated quickly. And by the time I asked for it to be placed, I was already fully dilated and ready to push. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, every woman is going to have like a different birth plan and what kind of medications that they want or pain control. But I would recommend if you get an epidural, um, don't try and tough it out. Just ask for it when you feel the pain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I've heard other women say that too. Yes, that was a kind of a, a oopsie on my part, but everything ended up fine. So she comes back down to us from the NICU. Um, and we hang out. She thinks she had a little bit of like a low blood sugar at one point. And then we get to go home at around 48 hours. Mm-hmm. What was the initial breastfeeding experience like for you? Oh, my gosh. There's so much to say about this. So much stress. So much to say. Um, and one of the things as a pediatrician that I kind of was prepared for in a way, like, was how hard breastfeeding is going to be. And I think that, like, a lot of women who don't have that experience see, like, you know, the images on TV where the kid's just, like, breastfeeding and look so happy. And it's, like, just so natural, people say. But it's, like, very, very hard when it's your first time. And especially for Mira, so this is when it's a little different. Because she was born early, she was so tiny. She was 5 pounds, 6 ounces, and her little mouth was so tiny. She was having some blood sugar issues. And I knew I wanted to breastfeed. We've done episodes on, like, the benefits of breastfeeding, right? But it was so hard to get her to latch on at first that we did supplementing with formula until my milk came in. So for most women, um, their milk will come in somewhere between three and four days of life. And for most women, it's totally fine 
to exclusively breastfeed, um, just like we talked about, let their baby lose a little bit of weight and then regain that weight as your milk comes in. When babies are born a little bit earlier, they have increased risk for low blood sugars, for jaundice, which is something that we talked about. And so what I did, mm-hmm. which I would never wish on my worst enemy, mm-hmm. um, is something called triple feeding. Triple feeding. What's that? Yeah. A triple feeding is this horrible thing that can help your milk come in and feed your baby where you essentially will put your baby to the breast. So in the beginning, the first few days of life, a minimum of every three hours babies need to feed, usually for the first two weeks or so, but sometimes they're going to be on the breast much more frequently than that. So every three hours at least, put them to the breast, try to feed on both sides. After that, You give them this little, usually it's like a little syringe, um, so like a medication syringe, or there's these these things called supplemental nursing systems with like a little tube, and we would either like put it um, at the breast, like at the nipple, so that she could suck it out and like kind of pretend like there was milk coming from there, or like my husband would actually put it like on his finger and give it to her because it kind of mimics more like a nipple and less like getting her used to drinking from a bottle. And we would give her a little bit of formula or pumped breast milk once I had it after feeding her at the breast. And then I would pump after that. (laughs) After that, Uh uh-huh. So, like, you can imagine how long the process is, and then you have to feed again in three hours from the beginning. Yeah, so by the time you finish, it's like time to feed again, right? Exactly. So, like, it essentially takes two hours to do the feeding process, and then you have, like, one hour off, and then you have to do it again. Wow. It is, like, the worst thing in the whole world, and I think has, like, I have some PTSD from it, to be honest. But, you know, it did help my milk come in, and it did help her learn how to breastfeed. Like, she's a great breastfeeder now, and um, I think it's probably was in part to putting in that work early on. So I really do tell moms, like— it gets so much better and it is really hard. And, you know, the, for the moms that have a full-term baby who's latching well and and may lose a little bit of weight, like not to worry about it, just to push through. Um, and they don't need to do the, that triple feeding and pumping. Um, but for people that have smaller babies or premature babies, it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And she's growing well. She's growing beautifully, yes. So um, I will say that, like, in that beginning, it can be really helpful to have support from your pediatrician or a lactation consultant to really get that down. So then you're home, and of course, everybody wants to visit. So yeah. like, what about those protective instincts, especially in the time of COVID? Like, what, how, how'd you set limits? And Well, do you remember what I like text you, I think, at like one week of life or something? I do remember that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, what was it? It was about COVID. Yeah, it was my, so my Mm in-laws, of course, just in the times of COVID, got COVID, Mm -hmm. like, maybe a week before I delivered. And so, like, even as, like, a medical person who knows the science, like, you know, at that point, they were saying, like, 14 days. 10 days. 10 days. 10 days at that point. Your mother-in-law is going to be considered non-infectious 10 days after starting symptoms as long as her symptoms were improving and she didn't have a fever without any fever-reducing medication. And so you got to that point. And I was still like, hell no, you're not coming near my baby. (laughs) Because she was still coughing. So she was still coughing 
And so I remember thinking about this and thinking, gosh, I don't want Lena to get on off on the wrong foot with her mother-in-law, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, like, I mean, it was just like one of those things that you never experience. You never are going to know how strong that drive is just to protect that baby. And so, like, I think I ended up having them wait, like, even for, like, a few more weeks after they had COVID before they, like, held her and you know, came in and, and really saw her. Um, I also made sure everybody that was around her was vaccinated, had their uh, Tdap booster, so whooping cough booster. And then in the beginning, at least like for the first month and a half, two months of her life, we actually made everybody do COVID antigen tests before they were going to see her inside without a mask on. Well, that was um, a time of high transmission. So there was right. a lot of COVID going around, you know. Absolutely. So I think everybody's approach is going to be different with that. But that was at least what we did. Mm -hmm. And the Tdap, just to point out, that's really important because the whooping cough, the pertussis, when kids get that less than six months of age, it can be really severe. So especially for, for newborns, it's important to protect them by decreasing the risk of contact with somebody with pertussis. Absolutely. And then after our breastfeeding woes sort of calm down, which were like about two weeks of life. I saw a wonderful lactation consultant here at UC Davis who was like, her weight is great. It looks like she's doing fine. You can stop supplementing her mm -hmm. and see how she does. And I was like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> and at some point with breastfeeding, you just kind of have to take a leap of faith that they're going to do okay. And you can monitor closely with your pediatrician to make sure that they do. And she did totally fine. So once our breastfeeding woes resolved, we moved on to sleep Woes. Yeah. So tell me about the sleep deprivation and how do you manage that with your with your husband and all. I mean, you're breastfeeding, so you're integral to being woken up in the middle of the night, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this is another one that's like going to be so different for every person. Um, and I will say that the first question I get when I have patients who are either like pregnant or yeah, mostly like pregnant moms or I see people out and they're like, oh, you're a pediatrician and you just had a baby. Did you get the snoo? <laughs> What's you the know snoo? what the snoo is? Oh, the snoo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like a fancy bassinet, basically, that was developed by Harvey Karp, who's a sleep sleep specialist. I think he's a, a professor at USC, but he also like invented this bassinet that like swaddles them, and, like shakes and like responds to their sounds. And it's so expensive. It's like over $1,000 for something they're going to use for four months, five mm -hmm. months. Um, and so I will tell everybody here that I did not get the snoo, <laughs> um, mostly because I wanted to like have that real sleep experience as a pediatrician to like, you know, be in solidarity with my patients <laughs> and like learn the tricks to help them sleep. Mm -hmm. Did it work? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. The jury's still out. We're still having some issues. But the first month is kind of like all over the place, right? They have no real sleep schedule. They don't have their mm -hmm. circadian rhythm yet. They're like up at random times. And so just all I can say is like, don't be too hard on yourself during this time. Mm -hmm. What we did was my husband would stay up from her with her from 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. and do a bottle at that time in the middle. And I would just get up and pump really fast and go back to sleep. Um, because we knew that she was going to have to get a bottle at some point. I was going to go back to work. So mm -hmm. it wasn't something that we were trying to avoid with her. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really helpful because I could get that like stretch of 
more uninterrupted sleep. Um, at this point, she's six months old. Um, we are starting to do like a cry it out technique. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's so you're, tough. you wait a period of time while she, mm-hmm. when she's crying. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like basically we're trying to break the association for her needing to be on the breast at all times to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I will try and put her into the bassinet when she's sleepy but not asleep. And she usually doesn't like that because she prefers to like fall asleep on me and the warmth and breastfeeding. So she'll cry for a period of time. If it's longer than 10 minutes, usually I'll go in and I'll just put my hand on her and I'll talk softly to her and to be honest that usually makes her more pissed off because she's like why are you just standing right here and not picking me up um and then i'll go out again and so we are about maybe like five days in and it is really working oh it started to work yeah it's starting Mm -hmm. to work so she's learning to put herself back to sleep Mm -hmm. and we talked about that in a previous episode the the importance of allowing kids to be able to learn how to soothe themselves to sleep yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's much harder on parents than kids to be honest Mm -hmm. i it's completely heartbreaking and i understand that the method isn't for everyone and what i tell parents in my practice is that like as long as your baby's like sleeping on their back in a bassinet you know to reduce the risk of SIDS, mm-hmm. um, definitely until they're like very able to like roll and get out of you know any dangerous positions. So usually that's going to be like closer to six to nine months. Mm-hmm. They need to be on their back in a bassinet. Um, and so if you're doing that, then whatever the other things are, you're not going to like ruin your kid with sleep. So like if you <laughs> breastfeed them to sleep every time and you like gently place them in the bassinet mm-hmm. and then they wake up and you breastfeed them again and you gently place them in the bassinet, like you're doing the right thing. Everyone's going to have a different approach to this. But ours was finally at six months, we just started this was to let her just cry it out. It mm-hmm. seems to be working. Well, let's talk about gas and poop. yes let's talk about it because this is one of those things as a pediatrician that parents would come into my office and like she's just so uncomfortable and like you could just tell she's like Mm -hmm. beet red and like they're just like so distressed and i would look at them like it's just gas (laughs) and then for us i was like oh my gosh she's like in so much pain and (laughs) Uh this is so horrible to watch and so I did a little bit of a dive for you guys into grape water and simethicone. Mm-hmm. So, like, let me just start by saying that baby gas is totally normal. And I even knew that as a pediatrician, right? Like, I knew, knew that, like, it's just their little digestive systems coming online and maturing. And when they feed and when they cry, they swallow a lot of air. Mm-hmm. And so, like... Gas is completely normal in newborns. Mm-hmm. And um but it is super painful to watch and it makes them cry a lot. And so therefore you are getting less sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes parents will be like, What can I do for gas? Um and so the two things that sometimes pediatricians will recommend is something called gripe water or simethicone. Mm-hmm. So gripe water is a liquid supplement of sodium bicarb and herbs. Like I think it has fennel, ginger, chamomile. Um, and one study actually found that 65% of parents report giving it at mm-hmm. some point. Um, and in one study, it found that infants that used it actually had more crying, oh, spit really? up, and constipation. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, and it, the same study showed that if they didn't use it, it was because their physician counseled them against it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It is important to know for grape water, it's not FDA approved, which means it's not regulated. And since some of those herbs could potentially be dangerous, right? Um, and and so I think overall, there are not like studies that have found it to be dangerous, but also not that have found it to be helpful. Mm-hmm. We used it and we didn't find it to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Mm-hmm. What about the semethicone? Yeah, the, the semethicone or mylocon gas drops are regulated by the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, they are generally considered safe and like the they're basically designed so that they break up gas bubbles into smaller little gas bubbles, which would theoretically like be less painful and help your baby pass gas. Um, to be honest, there's also no evidence to support that the use of semethicone as a pain relieving agent for like colic or gas mm-hmm. is useful. One study interviewing parents that were recruited like through social media did report that two thirds saw an improvement in their colic symptoms. But again, this is like a parent report and not mm-hmm. like a validated study. Um, like I said, I tried both of them and neither of them did anything for Mira. So maybe it bought you some time, though, to do something and wait for things to get better on their own. Well, things got better on their own. Things just do get better on right. their own as like the gut <laughs> matures and they grow. And so like really like the best therapy is time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if your kid is having a lot of st- struggles with gas, um, you can always talk to your pediatrician about it. But mm-hmm. I feel you. It was terrible to watch and it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the transition to back to work, how it's been for you in terms of attachment and being away from your newborn and also about the breastfeeding and pumping and caretaking, all those kind of issues. What's that been like? Yeah, you know, I think I started feeling like the draw to go back to work around like three months or so. That Those first few months, it's just like you're exhausted. You're trying to figure each other out. You're trying to figure out breastfeeding. Um, but after that, you kind of get into your routine. You're playing. You're going on a lot of walks. At least we were. Um, and But at some point, like, and this, again, is going to vary for every person. Um, For me, I really love my job. And so I started missing that, like, stimulation during the day, that intellectual stimulation. Since being back, you know, I would love, I'm planning to continue to provide breast milk for Mira for the first year of her life. And so I have been needing to schedule times to pump at work, which can be tough, especially if you have a busy clinic schedule. But Mm -hmm. I've just been trying to prioritize it. Um, I think I have a little pump PTSD from my triple feeding experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't love it, but I know it's the best thing for her. And, you know, you just have to get used to lugging like a bunch of extra bags and, you know, finding a fridge so you can store your breast milk. And um, reaching out to a lactation consultant can be really helpful during this period, too, just to help you transition back. And one of your challenges is it's not like you work in one place that you could mm-hmm. just like store your stuff and have one fridge. I mean, you're, you work in multiple different locations throughout the week. Yeah. So I'm like a total vagabond and like have all these crazy, like a bag, crazy bag lady, but it's working for me so far. Um, I had keep a spare set of pumping stuff in my car after I've had like a few instances mm. where I like left it at one of my offices or do something else. So I think that is useful. And then, you know, I would just say that, like, it gets easier. Like, of course, I think about her and miss her all the time, and I get little pictures and updates. 
Um, but I'm kind of starting to get into that rhythm. Um, and it, I think, you know, six weeks off from maternity leave in a lot of places is just not enough. So I was lucky to have four months off. And by the end, I was ready to come back to work. But I still have days where, like, I cry because I feel like I'm missing important things. Mm-hmm. Um, or I cry, like, in the middle of the night because I feel like I don't know what she needs. Or, like, why is she cry? Like why is she crying right now? Or be- sometimes I just cry because I think she's, like, the cutest thing in the world. And I didn't know it was possible to love something so much. Um, but most days I'm just really trying to focus on, like, enjoying her, enjoying the process. Um, and so really in the end, like all I can say is that the last few months or six months have really just made me more in awe of all of the amazing parents I get to work with and, um, you know, everything that you do to make sure your kids are taken care of. And it's been quite a journey and it, I'm sure will continue to be quite a journey, but I'm really excited to walk alongside all of you guys during the journey. Um, and continue to to learn and and uh, make sure we have all of our babies thrive and succeed all the way from birth through their teenage years. Well, thank you, Dr. Lena, for sharing your new mom experiences with us. And congratulations to you, to your husband, Tom, and to Mira Gray and your whole family on a beautiful addition to the world. Oh, thank you, Dr. Dean. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 